morning. It's good to see uh, some new faces. It's good to see some of you who have been out for various reasons. And welcome. Welcome. How are we doing this morning? Good. It's good to uh, experience the presence of God together and worship together. Amen? Amen. It's okay. We can be interactive. We're going to be very interactive next week. I promise you. It's, uh, it's Family Sunday, and it's always full of uh, fun and games and participation. I hope you're looking, looking forward uh, to that. Well, we've been in the middle of our um, series we started last week on Jesus, and you might think, wow, that's, shouldn't that be every Sunday? Yes, but we're digging in deep with Jesus, and we're looking at his life and what he represented. We uh, looked last week that uh, God was, uh, Jesus is fully God and fully man at the exact same time, and if you want to know what that means, just you can go to the website and listen to last week's sermon. Uh, but we're going to continue to move on. But we're in the theme of Jesus, just looking at his life. And today, we're going to look at the power of presence. The power of presence. So, we're going to start by actually not looking at Jesus, but looking at Moses in Exodus chapter 33. Uh, there's this exchange, and we're going to start in verse 15 and 16, and then I'll uh, back up and explain those verses to you. In Exodus 33, verse 15, Then Moses said to him, meaning God, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of this earth? Backstory that led up to this, um, you know, God has delivered the Israelites from Egypt in a very dramatic fashion, right? With all the plagues, um, the crossing of the Red Sea, uh, the providing them with water from a rock, uh, quail from heaven in the middle of the desert, uh, manna that felt, fell like snow or dew on the ground, just crazy supernatural things. They've traveled through the uh, wilderness and they, God has protected them. He's provided for them. And Moses is up on the mountain, and he's receiving the Ten Commandments from God. And while he's up there, the people grow impatient. They grow tired. He was up there for 40 days. And they're like, we don't even know where this guy is. And they begin to worship gods that they create. They take off their jewelry. They make gods. They begin to worship these gods. And God alerts Moses to this. Moses comes down off the mountain, he administers discipline, he leads the people in repentance, gets them right on track again. Um, and then God says this to Moses in verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. So, They've kind of been made right with God. God says, hey, get up, start on your journey to the promised land. I made a promise. And we know God delivers on his promises. Verse 2, I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Lots of ites, right? Um, and just, hey, I'm going to send an angel and we're going to clear a path for you. Hallelujah, right? Like, that's exciting stuff. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. 
but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Wow. What is God saying here? God is saying, look, I promised your forefathers a land that's rich, that's fertile, that's everything you could dream about. And I promised that I would make sure you would get there. Uh, And I'll do everything I promised, but I'm not going with you anymore. I'll give you my promise, but not me. Moses makes a very important distinction here. And that's this. That the presence of God was more important than the promised land. He says, if you don't go, don't send us from here. We'll just stay here and hang out. Don't send us. You are more important than the promised land. God himself, to put it in our modern day terms, God himself is way more important than the stuff promised to us. As residents of a materialistic driven society, this is a very important distinction for us to know. That the presence of God is way more important than money in the bank. It's more important than all your bills being paid. It's more important than all the possessions and stuff you have in your house. The blessings of God. It's more important than your reputation. It's more important than your beautiful home. It's more important than your followers on social media or the likes you get. It's more important than even your partner or your loved ones. He's way, his presence is way more important than stuff. Any of the promises. Are the promises bad? No. Is God faithful to deliver? He's faithful. He wants to see us prosper. He wants to see us in good health. He wants to see us with loved ones. He wants, he wants these things for us. He wants us to, to, um, to live in our promised land. But his presence is way more important than the promise. Why is this? Moses realized something that the psalmist realized as well that we're realizing today. In Psalm chapter 42, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist writes this, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? That's pretty extreme language. That his soul thirsts just as a deer, as an animal pants for water, meaning just as an animal is driven to look for water, he's driven to look for where he can meet with God. And then in Psalm 63, verse 1, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Think of that language. We're pretty fortunate today. I mean, water comes, we can buy it in a bottle. We're never short uh, on water, and especially living on Cape Cod with the ocean all around us. Now we can't drink the salt water, but the lack of water just doesn't even cross our mind. 
but I'll take you on a hiking trip, and you will pant for water. I promise. Or we can go in the desert, right? People who live differently where water is not abundant realize that water is a source of life. Roughly, uh, the human being can live roughly three days depending on environment without water. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how powerful you are. It doesn't matter how much you're loved or you're liked. If you don't have water, none of that matters. Because if you don't have water, you can have all the friends in the world. Three days from now, it's not going to matter. You can have money in the world, but if you don't have water, three days from now, who cares? And this is what the psalmists are getting at. Like, the realization that God's presence is my source of life. That God, being with God, is, is what fuels me. It's what sustains me. It's what helps me move forward. It gives me life. It not, not, just, um, not just the life in the sense of uh, at my birth, he helped my mom, and that and now I'm on my own. No, it's like daily life. So how does any of this relate to our focus on Jesus. In John chapter 4, verse, uh, John chapter 4, Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well. And in verse, they're having some questions, and he asks water, and she responds. And in verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So he's like, hey, if you, know, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd be asking him for a drink. And it would be living water. And then he says to her again in verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks the water here will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them spring of water welling up into eternal life. So Jesus is saying, hey, I, I give living water. And then in John chapter uh, 6, verse 33, Jesus stands up and says this, For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life. Guys, I'm, the computer's freaking out, so I need you to help me. Gives life to the world. We all know that bread is a source of life. It's referring to food, right? I mean, we can only live three days without water, and I forget, it's like 40 days without food or something like that. So, and he says, Sir, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That's powerful. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I am the source of life. Right? He's saying, hey, if you come to me, you will never hunger again, you will never thirst again, because I'm the source of life. Now, Jesus, as God, last week we said he was fully God and fully man. Jesus, as God, can make this claim. 
because he's not only our initial source of life, meaning uh, he created us and created a male and a female and a reproductive system and got us on track and all these things. He's also our continued source of life as well. In other words, he's not just breath and blood, right? He's not just those things. He comes within us as our source of life so that we may be fully alive. And we all know there's a difference between being alive and being fully alive, right? Alive means um, blood is pumping through my veins and I have breath in my lungs, I'm alive. But fully alive is when you're embracing life and loving life and engaging with life, living life, it's not living you. He's our source. Jesus, as God, can make this claim because God, who seems so far away, came close to us through Jesus Christ. Right? God, who was in heaven, came close to us. His presence was manifest here on the earth through Jesus Christ. And he offers us life if we will come close to him. That's why Jesus said, I am the bread of life, all who come. I am uh, living water, you'll never thirst if you come to me. He offers us life when we come close to him. This is the essence of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. If we can uh, go, thanks. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The kingdom of God is simply the reign and rule of God in your heart, in your life, that you, you seek God first, and all the other stuff that you need is provided. Let me put this uh, example a different way, right? So many times I think what's, what happens in, uh, in Christendom is God becomes material, and we seek the blessings of God, we seek the promises of God, and that somehow in us uh, confirms that God is around, right? So we end up seeking things. But God put it to me this way. Do you want, now, this isn't God analogy, this is a here analogy. Do you want grandma, or do you want grandma's millions, Right? We've all heard stories or been in families where someone's passing away and they have a large sum of money. And, like, do you want grandma or grandma's millions? How many of us want God or how many of us want God's millions? And here's the difference if you have grandma, like, if you have a deep, healthy, close relationship with grandma, there's a really good chance that when you're in a place of need, grandma's going to help you out. Right? You don't have really to worry. Like, what happens if life falls apart? Grandma's like, I got you. Right? Don't worry about it. But there's something in us that wants to be in control of the stuff, I guess. I don't know. We're not going there today. My point is this that we get God. We get Jesus Christ. And when we, we, when we have Jesus Christ, we have everything that comes with Jesus Christ. 
But when we focus on just the stuff that comes with Jesus Christ, we miss the whole boat. We miss the whole boat. It's the presence of God that matters. Now, Jesus as a man modeled this for us. He modeled us the power of presence. First of all, Jesus taught it. Look at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. That's awesome. Next slide. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. We know the story well, right? But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Stop there, guys. Isn't this like the Lord is in her house? Right? And, you know, just side, we all, to some degree, operate this way. I think um, we all operate this way. We had uh, uh, some folks over Friday night to our house, and, uh, you know, the hour before... My wife was distracted by lots of things that had to happen because people were coming over the house, right? And so I can imagine that would be even more elevated if it was the Lord that was coming to our house, right? There would be, I think she'd be calling somebody saying, can you come over and help me clean? Like, so we get the idea of this, that there's lots of distraction, there's lots of stuff, there's lots that has to, but this relates to our personal lives as well. There's a lot of responsibilities there's a lot of things, there's the promises of God, there's all of the stuff that comes with being a follower of Jesus Christ. You can go next slide. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. Can you identify with, with that? Like, I probably fall into Martha's category. I'm worried about a lot of things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one is needed. One thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. What has Mary chosen that Martha has not? The presence of God. All the stuff that the Lord was here, eat with the Lord, our friends, we got to go invite people, we got to let them know the Lord's here, we got all this. No, no, there's only one thing that's needed. There's only one thing that matters. And Mary's chosen it. My presence. Jesus also modeled it. In uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, it said, After he had dismissed them, his disciples, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Mark 1.35, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke 6.12, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountain to pray and spent the night praying to God. I mean, multiple, multiple times we see and hear that Jesus is spending time with God the Father. I mean, even when Jesus was tired and hungry, he had strength. In John chapter 4, verse 5 through 8, we see another story of a conversation at the well. 
says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. So Jesus is tired from his journey. He's sitting there waiting for them. They're off buying food. A woman comes and he engages in this conversation. And at this time of ministry, she goes off. Um, she's gathering everybody. The disciples come back and they encourage him to eat. Man, sorry guys, this is all over the place. Go next, verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Melchizedek says to do the work of his father and those kinds of things, but the reality is this. What is sustaining Jesus? He was tired and exhausted from a long trip. He was thirsty and he hadn't eaten anything, yet he's able to have the strength to minister to this woman. What is it that's sustaining him? It's God. It's his closeness with God. It's, his, it's the presence of God with him. He's being sustained by God. And he says, hey, um, my source of sustenance comes from a place you don't know much about yet. We also read, I don't have the verses for you, but you know well, just before Jesus was crucified, arrested, tried, and crucified, where did they find him? In the garden. Doing what? Praying. Spending time with God. Here's the thing. His time spent in the presence of God gave him life and strength to do God's will. It's the power of presence. That when we when we're in the presence of God, when we, when we seek to uh, linger there and we seek to welcome that in our life and to, be, make, to tune ourselves in and make us aware of that because we know that God is everywhere, right? Like, we know that God is everywhere all the time and we know as believers he lives within us, but many times we're unaware of that. And it's our awareness of that and our leaning into the fact that God is with us and lingering there and spending time and being intentional there that gives us the strength to do everything else. It's our source of life. There's something else that Jesus modeled. He not only modeled like receiving strength and energy and, and being close to God as our source of life with presence, he modeled something else. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 30, says this, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Sounds like heaven to me. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. 
Jeez, can you imagine? They're on a boat going across. They're taking the ferry. Now, I know we're not connected. I guess it would be the equivalent of, like, you know, being in P-Town and taking a boat across to Plymouth and everyone knowing that and taking their cars and driving around and meeting us in Plymouth before we got there, right? That would be the similar, similar thing. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Again, remember, they haven't eaten. They're tired. They've been doing a lot of ministry because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Here's the thing that Jesus modeled. That Jesus was fully present with people. Jesus was fully present. He was present with his disciples. He was present with centurions, Roman soldiers. He was present with sinners. He was present with foreigners. He was present with religious leaders. He was present with fishermen. He was present with tax collectors. He was present with all genres of people. And it was his presence that affected people. It's okay, Mila. It was his presence that affected people. People were in the presence of God and they just changed. They heard his teachings. They felt his compassion. They walked with him. Jesus' discipleship model wasn't to put his teachings on YouTube and tell his disciples, hey, go watch those things and learn from me. Jesus' model was like, hey, walk with me. Come live with me. Let's see how this is done. It was presence. He was fully present in their life. In fact, look at Martha's response to Jesus after her brother's death. Um, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What's she saying? If you had been present, things would have been different. That shows an expectation that they, when they say, hey, when Jesus is around, stuff's different. It affects our lives. Things change. Healings happen. Deliverance happens. Provision occurs. Relationships with God and with people are restored. Something happens when Jesus is present. And that's a model for you and for me, that we have the same effect. Parents, you know the best parenting tip you can have? Be fully present with your kids. Married couples, you know the best marriage therapy lesson I can give you? Be fully present with your spouse. I love technology, except this morning because it's messing up. This does a lot of good things, but it prevents me from being fully present. Before this came around, it was the newspaper or, or the game on TV. Ouch, sorry. This applies except in playoff season. But when, you're, when your kid comes down and wants to have a conversation, which like, I'm sorry, I'm looking at all the people who like my stuff, or game's on, knock it off. You're not fully present. I'm guilty. I'm, not, I'm preaching to the choir. But when we're fully present, with people, and we look them in the eye and we listen to what they have to say and we, we show compassion and we love on people, guess what? Their lives change. When your relationship with your spouse is strained because you're going here and going there and you're doing a million 
things and you're not fully present because you're not listening to what they say and you're, not, and you're not taking care of each other's needs and you're just kind of distant, guess what? The distance gets wider. You got to be fully present. When our society, when, we, when, we're, when there's addiction or there's homelessness or there's hunger or there's injustice, it doesn't do much good to send a check from afar. But when you walk and you look at somebody eye to eye who's struggling with those things, you say, I'm here, what can we do about this? Their lives change. Because we who carry God within us are like Christ. When we're fully present, the environment changes. And church, I know I'm preaching at you now, but there needs to become a time where we leave these pews and we're fully present with the world around us so we can see the change we all desire for it to see. We like to sit in here and we like to send missionaries off to go do it or to go send pastors out and go do it. And we'll just come, we'll show up, we'll sing a few songs, we'll write a check in the book and we'll go home and we'll live our lives. Don't disturb us. That's not how the gospel of Jesus Christ goes forward. That's not how... Uh, the world is changed for Christ. It's just not. And Jesus modeled it for us. He walks alongside people. He looks them in the eye. He feels their pain. He, he's fully present. He says, what can we do about this? I'm here. Because this, in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 38, look what Jesus said. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. That's you and me, right? We need the source of life. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Do we grasp what's being said here? I mean, just process a little bit. If you're thirsty, if, if you need a source for life, if, I mean, if you're feeling drained, if you're down, if you're out for the count, you're, like, you're shriveling up. Jesus says, come to me, and not only will I quench your thirst, I'm going to make you a source of life as well. Rivers of living water are going to flow out of you. And we know he's referring to the Holy Spirit that's deposited in a believer where this comes from. It's not our own strength, but it's God living in us that does this. So as a believer in Christ, rivers of living water should be flowing out of you because the Holy Spirit lives in you, which means this. You should be a source of life to the people around you. Your presence matters. Now if you're dried up and thirsty and you're not going to Jesus Christ, your presence makes a difference as well, just not one we want to see. Because i got to tell you, there's a lot of dried up, shriveled Christians out there spouting out a whole lot of things that are bringing death. Because they're not spending time with, with God. They're not, they're not allowing the life source to fill them with life so that when they are present, life's coming out of them. I've been guilty we're friends here. I've been dried up before and let that be what comes out of my mouth, what I type in the things, and I'm like, no. When you're spending time in God's presence, 
rivers of living water. You become life to those around you. Being fully present with someone is the most powerful thing you can do. Listen, I responding to a need and sending money or making phone calls to make sure stuff happens for somebody, all that's really important stuff. It's good stuff. I don't want anyone to walk out here saying like, oh, pastor says it doesn't matter if we give money. Pastor doesn't matter if, you know. No, but the most important and powerful thing you can do is be fully present with somebody. Even if you don't know what to do. Like, hey, all I know is Jesus lives in me and Jesus is going to figure this out, so I'm here. Let's wrap this up. The power of presence. Our life and strength is found when we're in God's presence. His promises are great. His healings are great. His deliverances are great. These are amazing things to us. But if you have those and you don't have his presence, it's meaningless. You've been cut off from the source. Your death is imminent. Well, I shouldn't say that. That opens up a whole can of theological worms. Your, your sustenance, your ability to live the Christian life is waning. It's more, his presence is more powerful than any, any donation It's more powerful than any act of service. It's more powerful than possessions. It's the source of life for all that you're going to be you're going to do for him or be with him. And when we are when we have been in God's presence, our presence is life-giving to the people around us. It changes the environment whether that be your family, like your spouse or your kids or your extended family, whether that be your neighbors, whether that be your coworkers, whether that be your friends, or whether that even be, as we're going to learn next week, your enemies. We look at scriptures like, love your enemies, and we go, that's not possible. I challenge you that that thinking is wrong. It is possible. Because Jesus is our example, And there are people all over history and all over this world currently who love their enemies. But it's impossible if you haven't been in the presence of God. The presence of God is the most important and powerful thing that you can practice on a daily, every other day, however often possible. I think Sean took Mila. Okay. I just want to take a few minutes and, and encourage us to respond. Because what does it mean to be in the presence of God? For me, I find myself most in the presence of God, like the song we sang at the beginning, um, where he stood up on the mountain and looked down and heard the brook and heard the birds singing. I'm like, man, how great is our God? You know, it's just I feel God's presence. Some of you, when it's, you're hearing some, some well-done, written, good music, 
you just, man, the presence of God is there, right? For some of you, when you open up your Bible and you start reading the Psalms, man, or, or something else in Scripture, God just overwhelms you. And the reality is, we need to uh, explore. There's no, there's no cookie-cutter formula for how you, you entertain the presence of God. You're a unique individual with a unique relationship with Jesus that's different than mine. And so what God invites us to is to explore his presence. How does that happen? And so you start exploring, like, man, how do what, what environment can I be in? What, what, what posture, meaning what am I doing at the time of while I'm in that environment that best facilitates that connection with God, that connection with that life source. We're all in different places in life. I was chatting with somebody about this, and they were like, man, my kids are up at 4 a.m. There's no way I'm going to beat them out of bed. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. So that individual needs to find a different way, a different time, a different place, how to connect with God. But what I have found, what's a common thread, is when you're, wherever you're at, whatever time of day, whatever environment, whether you're standing, sitting, kneeling, lying down, it's the, it's the clearing the distractions for our mind and heart. And sometimes it's just three minutes of your day that you can say, God, I'm, this three minutes is yours. And I'm not, not going to let my mind think about anything except you. Because I want to be with you. I already know you're with me. I want to be with you. And sometimes just closing your eyes and focusing your thoughts on that, like, nope. I'm not going to think about the game that's coming on in an hour or so. Nope, not going to think about what's on for dinner. For me, I'm going to visit my daughter and my grandsons today. Nope. I'm not going to think about that till this time with God. And sometimes you spend the entire three minutes, five minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is you can allocate your day, just fighting off thoughts. But can I tell you, it's an exercise worth doing because you get stronger. And instead of spending two minutes and 45 seconds of your three minutes fighting off thoughts, all of a sudden you find you're only spending two minutes. You have a full minute with God. And then sometimes it's, wow, I only spent a minute fighting off my thoughts. And then next thing you know, you're three minutes, you look at your time like, oh my gosh, I spent five minutes. That time went by fast. And then 30 minutes. And then you get angry when people interrupt you because, man, this was just so good. It's like anything else. It takes intentionality. It takes practice. So let's practice. For the next 30 seconds, 
I just want you to close your eyes. Say, God, this 30 seconds is yours. I'll tell you when we're going to start. <laughs> it's not my pastor's time. It's not my church's time. It's not my kid's time. This is your time. I want to be with you. it's so nice to be with you this morning. It's nice to just wipe the cares of the world away for just 60 seconds. And to just say, Lord, I want to be with you. I feel like I can breathe better. I feel like I can think more clearly. And that's not because of me because of you. And Lord, I fully admit that I'm easily distracted. That even the sitting for just 60 seconds in your presence is my mind wants to wander. So Lord, I ask you for your Holy Spirit's strength and for your grace. As I fight through the thoughts in my mind, as I fight through the awkwardness, the the not sure what I'm supposed to do phase, all those kinds of things. But Lord, I recognize that my strength, my, my life is found in those moments. And Lord, I want to get to the point where those moments are more important to me than the promises you give me or the provisions you provide or the healings you deal out. But that what matters most is my time in your presence. Church, I encourage you just to practice that on a regular. Push yourself. Start with a few few minutes. As you start to get a hang of that, push it more and just explore. God wants you to just explore your relationship with him.
We're going to close in a song here. It's just, I feel like it's appropriate. Pray that God is with you. When they're done singing, we'll just be dismissed. But use the time to um, welcome God's presence in your life intentionally. Because God is always there. It's you and it's me who aren't always there. And so it takes, it takes uh, training yourself to be there with God. And so that's what we use our times of music and worship for, to help you focus in and lean into the fact that God is here. I encourage you to explore that on your own at home. Find those times, nights, mornings, in the shower. I mean, use your shower time. Like, God, this is your time. Like, I don't know. Connect it somehow. Like, Lord, clean my mind while I clean my body. I don't know. Like, like just explore. Spend time with God. He loves you. You're an object of his affection. He wants you to spend time with him.